listening to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. This is KZSU News Central, the Relatively Roundtable. I'm Darlene Franklin. I'm Ishan Gandhi. And we have a very great show for you today, starting off with campus news from the Stanford Daily. Our first is a follow-up on a piece of news that we briefly touched on last week, which is on the tragic death of a sophomore here uh, at the Theta Delta Chi house uh, last Friday. We now have more information about the student, including his name, Ethan Wiener. Um, he died in his residence on Friday morning, as announced by the university. Uh, a preliminary investigation found no evidence of foul play. Wiener had been planning to major in history, and he lived in the Arroyo Orfrosh dorm on East Campus during his freshman year. Much of his family is Stanford-affiliated. Uh, his sister studied human biology here. His father is an associate professor of history, and his mother is, an, is the associate vice provost for medical center development. The Palo Alto Fire Department pronounced Wiener dead at approximately 10.21 a.m. on Friday. Vice Provost for Student Affairs Susie Brubaker-Cole sent an email to the campus community that afternoon and an obituary the following Monday. In addition to history and politics, Eaton was passionate about hip-hop and rap music, had taught himself how to produce an album and was planning on doing so. His fraternity fraternity told Brubaker-Cole, Eaton was a deeply cherished member of our community. We will miss his open mind and inviting presence. We are all mourning the loss of our beloved friend. Stanford students and community members marched at White Plaza on Saturday to protest campus rape culture and show solidarity for global women's issues. The 2020 event marks the third annual Women's March on Stanford's campus and was hosted by Stanford Women in Law. In the lead-up to the march, SWIL circulated a petition to help hold Stanford administration accountable for ending campus rape culture. The demands call for action and policy measures including continued sexual harassment and assault education, hiring more Title IX investigators, and increasing funding for research and student support services around the issue. Over the past years, the Bay Area has seen increasing legalization and deregulation of uh, accessory dwelling units, ADUs, discrete self-contained living units on the same parcel as an existing home or property. On the evening of the 2017 vote, um, wherein the Palo Alto City Council voted 6-2 to deregulate the units, some believe, some believe that the floodgates would open, the gold rush was on, and there would soon be a granny flat in every backyard. ADUs are commonly referred to as gra- granny flats for their common use housing an aging family member, cost bet- costing between $30,000 and $300,000 to install, and are usually in a building or backyard. This is just some of the information that was uh, on the Stanford's local chapter of Service Employees International Union who met last Wednesday. Environmental activist Vandana Shiva delivered her talk, Soil Not Oil, Biodiversity-Based Agriculture to Address the Climate Crisis, on Thursday at Semex Auditorium. The lecture, presented by Students for a Sustainable Stanford, was the eighth annual Stephen H. Schneider Memorial Lecture. Schneider was a renowned climate scientist and senior fellow at the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment. In her talk, Shiva attacked industrial farming as immoral and fraudulent claiming that the poisoned cartel wants to destroy small farms because of the illusion that industrial agriculture is more effective. She attributed the world hunger crisis to industrial farming and called food the currency of life. Her tendency towards metaphor and spiritual rhetoric at times approached the theatrical, such as when she proclaimed, in this handful of soil is your future. Take care of it and it will take care of you. Destroy it and it will destroy you. Shiva, who is outspoken against the globalization of agriculture, has argued that the prevailing model of industrial agriculture, heavily reliant on chemical fertilizers, pesticides, fossil fuels, and a seemingly limitless supply of cheap water, places an unacceptable burn on the Earth's resources. In a sold-out talk at Cumberly Auditorium on Wednesday night, hosted by the Stanford Speakers Bureau, Grant Sanderson, class of 15, creator of the popular YouTube channel 3Blue1Brown, offered a new perspective on engaging with math. Instead of prioritizing usefulness, he emphasizes emotion, wonder, and imagination, similar to how one would engage with fiction works like Harry Potter. Stanson's Channel 3 Blue 1 Brown, named after the proportion of colors in his right eye, currently has 2.4 million subscribers and has been featured on other prominent STEM education YouTube channels such as Numberphile. He explains concepts ranging from linear algebra to neural networks with a highly visual approach. 
using a custom software library called Manim to make visuals. His most popular video, The Hardest Problem on the Hardest Test, explains a solution to a problem from the 1992 Putnam Competition, an international math contest for college undergraduates. The problem involves finding the probability that a, tetra that a tetrahedron, a shape like a pyramid, contained in a sphere holds, holds the center of the sphere. <coughs> With storytelling and a visual approach, Sanderson strives to show viewers that they have the capacity to find the solution on their own. As graduation approaches, international students planning to work in the U.S. are preparing to apply for the optional practical training OPT program, which allows F1 academic student visa holders to legally work in the U.S. for a year, as long as they work in jobs directly related to their major. Authorized by the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, in 1992, the program expanded in 2016 to allow students graduating with degrees in STEM an extension of up to 24 months. 2020, however, may be a more challenging year for applicants of the OPT program. Both the initial program and its 2016 expansion have been embroiled in a lawsuit filed by the labor, filed by the labor in the U.S. for a year. Sorry, um, filed by the labor union Washington Alliance of Technology Workers (WASHTEC) in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. In the initial complaint, WASHTEC wrote that the DHS exceeded its statutory authority by creating the OPT program without congressional approval. It's also claimed that the program caused increased competition with WASHTEC. If WASHTEC prevails in the suit, it could eliminate not only the STEM extension, but also the OPT program itself. Last November, Stanford joined over 118 other universities in filing an amicus brief defending the OPT program. The brief argued that international students foster diversity, maintain research excellence, and add value to the U.S. economy. Without the program, the brief reads, universities will have a harder time recruiting international students in an increasingly competitive global education market. In light of a student government report calling for sexual violence policy reform, Provost Persis Drell told the Faculty Senate that the university cannot currently make any changes to its sexual violence adjudication policies due to an agreement made in 2018 with the Office of Civil Rights. We're stuck, she said. There is a current issue with the Office of Civil Rights and we're not able to make any changes to our policy right now. In the spring of 2018, OCR, a division of the Department of Education focusing on enforcing civil rights laws, concluded a three-year inquiry at Stanford that found that the university was not in compliance with Title IX in two respects, including that the student Title IX process included an incorrect standard for addressing concerns related to retaliation. The university reached an agreement with the Office of Civil Rights that commits Stanford to make changes to its policies and requires the university to provide any substantive modifications to the revised policies at least 90 days before the university proposes to adopt the modification to ensure consistency with this agreement. That's all we have for Campus News this week. And now back to Dolly. Thank you, Sean. We will take a music break, and then um, we have our guest, Chloe Stoddard, who is a co-founder of the Stanford Women's March and Stanford Women in Law. So we'll have an interview, and then I also went up to the San Francisco March and got audio of the march and some responses for who was there and why, so we'll bring that to you. That will be our, our show for this week.
listening to KCSU Stanford 90.1, KCSU News Central, the Relatively Round Table. I'm Darlene Franklin, and we have our guest today, Chloe Stoddard. Chloe is a student, um, an undergrad, class of 2021. You're an international relations and human rights major and co-founded the Stanford Women's March and Stanford Women in Law. So, yeah, thank you. I'd we want to hear more about that. So, um, thanks for, first, thanks for coming in today. <laughs> of course, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So, actually, I went up to the first San Francisco Women's March to, to get audio to kind of, I do like the Vox Pops of voice of people kind of recordings. And so, in the news, too, we know that um, there are a lot of issues that are brought up in at the march. There's a lot to put, try to put borders around, too. And Every year, it seems the issues, it includes more or even others are excluded. And so I just wanted to hear about how you, what the process was like to create the march here at Stanford and with other students and what that involvement was like and what issues have come up. And we'll just go through each. I know this a lot of, that's a lot of topics to cover. No, great. That's a great question. Um, yeah, so my freshman year in, in 2018, um, I, me and my roommate, Nevada Sanapan, um, and we're also friends. We always joke about that. But we were freshman roommates, and we were just talking about it. Um, and we were like, we should just have a march here on campus because there are a lot of things to talk about and give voice to student activists on campus. And, you know, maybe even students who haven't been involved in activism before, it's a really good opportunity to bring this, like, surge and excitement for feminism in the United States um, back to our campus that have, you know, clearly had a lot of issues with gender inequality as well. Um, and so in that process, that was very haphazard. It was two weeks. We were like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and we put it together. It turned out really great. Um, we got like 500 people, including people from the community to come. Um, but after that point, we decided that, you know, we had a lot to reflect on from that March and we wanted to be as intentional as we could be, um, learn from any conversations or feedback we had. And so in the following March, we tried our our best to really focus on intersectionality, which was already a focus in the first one, but have it be even more so. We changed the name to have um, the usage of the gender-inclusive X in women. Mm -hmm. And then also work more with student organizations, and we focused a lot around the issue um, that isn't often covered um, in, in media in the United States of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And um, that, that meant a lot, and being able to work with student activists on that was... Um, just an incredible experience and then this past year though I was like you know I don't, I don't know how I feel about organizing another march unless I know that this march has some sort of tangible outcome and so I, I didn't know if I was going to be organizing a third march um, you, you know activism was also a pretty exhausting process <laughs> so I was like you know um, I don't know if I'll do it but I talked to a lot of people and they're like no you should do a third one um, and then also kind of my desire to have some sort of tangible outcome, it ended up being that there was, a, you know, I mean, it was already prevalent on campus, sexual violence, um, content warning, just to put that out there as well, that there is discussion in the 3rd mm -hmm. March about um, sexual violence, is that um, there were just a lot of incidents on campus and, you know, just a lot coming up about the flaws of the system that a lot of people were already aware of, but I became more aware of as well because I'm a resident assistant as well. So um, there's just a lot that came to light, and so we decided that, we would use the march as an opportunity to rally people around how to create institutional change on campus in order to um, advocate against gender inequality um, and particularly sexual violence, which um, can affect everyone as well, just to acknowledge. But. Yeah, it seems that um, this year's march was, it was very focused on sexual violence. And um, how does that compare to previous marches? And how did you decide what issue to put on the forefront? And... Um, who to include in that or just yeah. the process. Yeah. Um, I guess my philosophy has always been to, in both the, the research and the organizing processes, to get as many perspectives and voices involved as possible. Um, those who are willing and able to do the work, as we always invite them to. Um, but then also in the actual march itself, we try to bring together as many people to speak and then also attend and organize. Um, so, you know, it's not just me organizing. We have a whole committee of really dedicated students who are part of the process, which I'm so thankful for. 
you're listening, thank you guys. Um, and um, I guess we decide that on, on a kind of group process on what we want to focus on. But the first year it was really what um, the U.S., like the, the National Women's March, I guess Global Women's March, honestly, um, was focusing on. So that was Power to the Polls was the theme and getting more women um, in seats. And um, it did happen, actually, which is really exciting. And it, it would be interesting to trace back to what influence, you know, the National March had on that. Yeah. But um, otherwise, it was really like, okay, what what isn't, what doesn't have a voice right now that really should? And um, so we focus on kind of what comes to light through that. Yeah, um, and you mentioned um, actions. So you wanted to focus on issues that where you could see results. Um, so how would you describe um, this year's and the actions that you're, ho- you're hoping to see as a group? Yeah, um, great question. <laughs> um, and really exciting that I have some answers for. <laughs> um, so basically, we started a petition, um, and I'll also acknowledge that ASSU, the Student Senate, also created an action plan as well that we released um, around the same time, um, and really working to pressure the university um, just throughout like the whole student body, basically. But our petition that we released was one that all, every, anyone and everyone could sign. We ended up accumulating over 800 signatures, which called for the university to implement um, for every year that a student is on campus, there needs to be required and continuous education around sexual assault um, and harassment education that isn't also informed by how racism, sexism, colonialism, all of so many (laughs) different issues intersect intersect with um, sexual violence and that really needs to be put to the forefront of issues it, it shouldn't just yes it's really important that people should know that no means no and that's honestly sad that that had to be our start but it needs to be even more informed and have people be more aware and conscious of what all is at play in these issues um yeah and also for a student advisory board to be put in place for students to have always have some sort of um place in the creation of education and policy but we have we have more uh, demands as well, but I can check that online. Mm-hmm. The Student Advisory Board, mm-hmm. um, would you say more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that was an idea that kind of came into play because we realized that if we didn't have some sort of piece of ourselves in the institution and, and always at the table, that we would keep coming back where we would have to, you know, go through this whole organizing process and have to exert a lot of energy through this type of activism in order to bring attention to things that honestly if we just always have a seat at the table maybe we could save some of our time emotional energy and labor um and that's just the way it should be right like these policies affect us and affect faculty they affect you know custodial staff members a lot of people don't know that but there's a big problem with (laughs) sexual assault and harassment in terms of you know the people who clean our homes and cook food for us you know, we should really be paying attention to that. And if we don't have a seat at the table, people aren't informed. Like, I, we had a meeting with, with um, the provost and vice provost and a lot of other administrators. And we were just talking even about some of the, the ways that sexual violence manifests itself on campus. And they were stunned. They were like, I didn't know that was happening. We didn't know that that could happen or manifest itself in that way. And it's like, well, of course not, because you're not a student. And I'm not going to blame you for not knowing that. But... You could know that if we always are here and always talking to you about these issues instead of having to go through this really strenuous process of, you know, can we have a meeting with you? <laughs> Does it fit in our class schedule? Um, and then it might only be like two or three people that are able to talk about their experiences versus a whole student, you know, body or representatives. But, yeah. Yeah. I guess how... I had two questions pop up in yeah. my mind. How... Um, how has it been, how do people, how have you usually investigated or heard um, these issues or how have they been presented to you? You said um, the custodial staff and a lot of um, different groups on campus, you know, so many, there are so many departments, so many different like, students, faculty, volunteers, staff, um, how administrators, how um, to connect, how, how does, how did you learn about um, these different issues? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say one thing is that 
I'm a junior now, so it's, been, it's my third year on campus, right? And so since the beginning of freshman year, I've been involved from diff- with different issues from workers' rights on campus to, of course, um, gender inequality. Um, and, you know, with that, I've just sat and talked with people and listened to other people's stories. Um, honestly, I think one of the best things that you can do to learn about something is not talk, just listen to somebody else, you know? Um, and then also the things that I've witnessed with my own eyes and talked to people about, um, like I said, just hearing other people's stories are very informative. Then there's also the fact that, you know, the university collected statistics, which shows that 55% of the transgender and non-binary community on campus has experienced sexual harassment. That Those are solid figures that have been collected by the university. And, um, you know, from there you can kind of make inferences of what needs to happen next that the university isn't doing. They're just reporting on it, it seems. So, um, yeah, I think just sitting and, and talking and listening to people and, and being patient in order to collect the, that research and data in order to make solid changes for the community. Yeah. What kind of um, conversations have you seen over the last um, few years in your time as a student about intersectionality and this way and um, experiences of that kind of inclusion in these forums? Yeah, I definitely think that it's improved um, a lot in terms of, it's, it's still hard. That's part of the reason why we don't necessarily associate ourselves with the National Women's March is just because we always we want to make it clear that intersectionality is our, is our key focus and that, um, you know, that's the most important thing. And so it, it has sparked a lot of dialogues, of course, as well. But also I think I credit the student body to the fact that they are always pushing for more to think about, right? We should always be considering another identity or another perspective on an issue because ultimately um, that's going to be the most important thing when we solve an issue. If we are leaving people out, we we really need to reevaluate what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going forward, what do you imagine? Um, do you think this is a movement, a march that you would do next year? What What are your thoughts already? Or where do you imagine what the goal, like going, how it would go forward yeah. and what you're doing? Yeah. I know you've already covered so much. No, no, no. Just I'm to <laughs> get all the pieces. No, please. Yes, of course. Um, I definitely would love to see the march continue. I, I joke... I, I've heard this before from other people. I heard it. It was like, if you're an activist, you kind of hope to have your job like end at some point because that means that, oh, yay, we've achieved <laughs> what we wanted to achieve, right? <laughs> things are always changing, though. More things always are happening. So what I hope is that it will continue. I hope that other people can take it on, though, and have an opportunity to lead and have this as their you know, project and, and be able to practice activism and organizing. It's an incredible learning opportunity on so many levels. But that also it's it's part of university accountability and being public and not being afraid to talk about these issues um, and you know making sure that people know that other people are in solidarity with them and people care it's it's it means a lot to see other people marching next to you or just signing a petition saying like hey this matters to me and things should change because I care about our community and the well-being of our community um, so I do hope it continues partic- with that particular focus, right? It, not just like some sort of show or anything, but to have those outcomes happen, I think, means a lot. Yeah. As you've been organizing, um, do you feel that, have you seen or experienced that um, there is more um, comfort around having these conversations or is, has there been an increase in these conversations that might be uncomfortable, that would be, that are uncomfortable topics. Definitely. Um, Something that um, one of, many of our speakers actually brought up, but particularly Munira, um, they spoke at the march um, about whisper culture. Um, And I believe that's very true. There's two sides. That one is like, of course, people, you know, should not feel like they have to force themselves to talk about this issue if they've been personally affected by it and it's difficult for them. That's always like my number one priority is that this is a difficult space to work in and that people should prioritize their their mental health and well-being but the whole other side to it the majority of the side to it is that people are uncomfortable with talking about how it's kind of rampant and everywhere and Mm -hmm. it's something that 
is integrated into our culture and our conversations and um we all in some way contribute to rape culture and you know calling not only other people out but ourselves out is extremely important and i have seen a difference in terms of at least the people who are involved in this issue really start to notice like these are the ways that you know our contri- our community is contributing to it and i'm also hoping that with this uh demand for continuous and required education that this will always be a part of our conversations and that we can always be kind of critical of like what needs to change within our own lives and conversations with each other and interactions and the communities that we contribute to. Yeah. What kind of hesitations or what kind of resistance where, where do you think that you, if to describe um, how that might be categorized or um, why, where does the hesitation lie? Do you feel? Um, I'm having, yeah, it's difficult to come up with the words. So. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's ask the question. I think it's difficult, honestly, for people to talk about it when it's not a, a case of like, this is personally affected me or somebody I love this type of stuff, but it, it can be uncomfortable for people to recognize that they are a part of the issue. And sometimes it's easier for people to, to deflect it. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that's very difficult to overcome but if we are able to normalize these conversations, that will help other people be like, you know, I recognize that we all, you know, it can be helpful, I guess, for some people who realize it's like not just them. I think sometimes people take it really personally and it's like, it's not just you, <laughs> it's everybody. Um, and I think that that does inhibit some people from coming to the table and talking about it. Um, just feeling maybe their own senses of guilt um, and their hesitation um, to to really talk about it and also you know that's that's part of the whole issue of like not believing survivors and um just there's a lot of layers to it but i think that really does contribute to it also because it's costly to change systems but we need to pay for that so <laughs> it just has to happen when people's well-being and safety is at risk we need to yeah put our money where our mouth is so <laughs> yeah. yeah the you're describing activism and how much energy it takes and um, new leadership to um, rise and take action or to, to organize these such events and groups. Um, what have you seen as for um, what new leaderships or new activists, what do you see them um, bringing up as issues they want to focus on and, and continue? And you, you've said so much. Um, I guess, again, the future question, the near-term um, and long-term. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited for other people to take this on um, just because I think that, you know, although we're an organizing team and we work together with our perspectives and, and we contribute from our places, um, it's really exciting for somebody else to take on that leadership just because it's it's a whole whole new fresh perspective and there's so much to be contributed when we have diversity of perspectives working on issues and so I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, and also not only diversity in perspective, but diversity in, in how we organize and different practices that I don't know about, but other people do. And that's so useful and um, really is kind of a place for innovation and organizing, I think. Yeah. Any other thoughts, final additions to what, you know, there's so much to say, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, if you care about this issue, I highly encourage you send emails to the administrators. They will meet with you if you want to. So they also have office hours and things like that. I think that people sharing their own perspectives, um, having to you know read someone else's words is incredibly powerful. So if you're so compelled, um, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chloe. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Had a so great time. Great. Yeah. I've, I've really liked our conversation. Um, so this is Chloe Stoddard, uh, class of 2021, co-founder of the Stanford Women's March Now um, with the X for women and also the Stanford Women in Law group. So thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll have more, I'm sure, from our um, the Stanford Daily News team on updates on the action item set were mentioned during this conversation. So I'll take you back to music. I was told um, today, like 
play, play something that makes you feel good. And I do like these chimes, so we'll go to that. And then I'll bring you the audio from the San Francisco Women's March. Um, basically, I had just gone and had my recorder out, and I tried to capture um, who was present and why. So I'll bring that to you, and we'll have that through the rest of the hour. So stay tuned. Listening to KCSU 90.1, Stanford's radio station. This is KCSU News Central, the Relatively Roundtable. I'm Darlene Franklin. Kender is out this week, and Sean Gandhi was here. Thank you for delivering the news from the Stanford Daily. As you know, if you've been listening to the show, I do uh, the recordings on campus, but this time I went up to San Francisco to get recordings of the San Francisco Women's March, and the turnout was expected to be smaller and I just wanted to kind of capture this time capsule of what does this march mean today and of course it is difficult and pretty impossible to try to capture that because it is a collective of many voices and many reasons for folks to demonstrate. In San Francisco it was again held at the Civic Center Plaza. The speakership was not celebrity-centered this as compared to the first year and the walk was towards again to Embarcadero Plaza that's about just a little under two miles from walking down on Market Street that's downtown San Francisco towards the bay where it meets the bay well this year is actually the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment which granted women the right to vote so I wanted to just present what I've gotten and I'd What I did was I just tried to speak to whoever was near me and tried to gather a diverse group. And I tried not, I did not really 
edit much, so I'll just give you sort of this raw audio. I did make cuts to try to fit this time period, so of the show, the length of the show. So I'll just go ahead and play that through the end. So thanks for hanging in there with me as I'm managing all the uh, technical stuff here at the station live show. So here we go. It's, I'm also caught the um, progression as it was coming uh, down the street. So um, really the audio is unchanged with this sound kind of ascending up into its fullness. And so it wanted to share what it sounded like as someone who was observing and attending and speaking to folks. Oh, 
also here for my children because I have a daughter and I have a son and uh, equality helps everybody. Yeah. Feminism helps everybody. And I'm also here as representing with the Colorado Nurses Association. Care about equality, care about trans rights, care about um, women, especially women of color. Especially um, 
stay-at-home mothers, stay-at-home fathers, they would be able to choose to work rather than work just to survive. How's that? Thank you. How is it preparing for this? Today? Oh yeah, it was awesome. We had um, a Yang Gang hang on Wednesday. Um, every week we meet to create signs like this. Um, and we go to all these community events to promote Andrew Yang. We're really passionate about Andrew Yang. Do you, did you come from, did you gather from all parts of the Bay Area? Yeah, from all over the Bay Area. We have friends from San Mateo, Sunnyvale, um, but most of us are in San Francisco. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, anything, anything else you want to Make sure that women Please are compensated for the unrecognized labor that we do. Um, women do some of the most Please unrecognized labor in our society, and Andrew Please Yang recognizes that. The That's all. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, what are some of the hopes you have going forward? Uh, that Trump gets voted out. 
How is it preparing to come today? And you can come with your mom. And that's how what? Oh, how is it preparing to come today? You can come with your, your mother. Uh, it was. It was. How was it for her to come? Or for both of you to come here together? It was great. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I mean, how often do you get to do a march with your 94-year-old mom? Wow. I just hope when I'm 94, I'm not still having to march. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. She's holding a sign saying, I'm 94. Trump has to go now. Actually, I was walking probably with the last pair. 94-year-old woman here marching with her daughter. Oh, when you have when you have a moment, um, I'm with KZC Stanford if you want to share your thoughts about. Oh, um, I'm just so moved that she's 94. Yeah, it's just a little weird because um there just hasn't been a huge response this year, and I reached out to tons of friends, and not many folks were um, wanted to participate or couldn't participate. And so I thought, if the most liberal city in the nation is having a weak response, what is that? How is the response going to be around the around the nation? What does that What does that mean for um, uh, the next election? So yeah, it's a little bit. Um, sad this morning, but then she kind of bought tears in my eyes. <laughs> the perspective of her life and the things she's seen. Oh, would you, would, would you like to say that on this <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear that and what your thoughts are. If that was really you. nice. You said the perspective of her life and what she's seen. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah, the perspective of over her 94 years, right? The things that she's seen and and also how the things that she probably values in her life and then how that must feel when you see people's rights being taken away and when you see the impact of... I, I happen to know her daughter and so I know how much their family cares about young people and cares about our future and, and so I'm sure it makes her feel afraid but also like empowered to be like I'm gonna be out there walking today and show my and show my tell my story so yeah so we appreciate people for being that role model for us yeah I appreciate it thank you so much I also I just lost my mom too who's 82 so blocking the photographic shot because I was realizing, oh, I think they're last now. <laughs> and I was just talking to them. So I hope that's okay. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I don't care about that. So I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I already... That's all right, she's a teenager. She's smart. She's going to become an icon. I hope so. Really? She, she probably will. Yeah. She already is, like. Well, you know, <laughs> you're right. She is. Yeah. Hi, I'm Laura Rothpatton, and I'm here representing the Mental Health Association of San Francisco. This march is important for all women, for all people, because we must defeat Trump and his damaging policies. We have to fight for funding for mental health advocacy for civil rights for social values trump has to go this year thank you so you have a big you have oh two cameras yes and so you're out you uh yes i shoot for the associated press so i'll, I'll shoot for whatever event whatever event that they need me for and uh i stay away from uh war and anything that's you know look kind of not be a peaceful protest. I've been assigned that and I've walked out on jobs because I, I just don't want to, I mean, I know there's a place for it and I know that those people are important, but I want to shoot joy, contemplation, and positive, uh, I guess, protest. I guess you can positively protest in a certain way. Yeah. When was that turning point for you? Was there a moment when you decided, oh, when was that turning point for you? Was there a moment when you decided that's what you wanted yeah. to do? I had to go shoot a suicide and, uh, well, an attempted suicide. Like, you're assigned, go to the building, the guy might jump. And I'm like, no. They're like, oh, it's your job. It's your job. Go do it. No, I'm not doing that. So, and then, uh, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't last long there, obviously, but um, I stuck to my guns and I realized, what, what if he jumps? I don't want to shoot that. Are you going to publish that? No, that's not for me. 
What are your hopes for the future of journalism? Um, just that it stays, uh, you know, that it stays that you, those people are important. I mean, journalists are important uh, in all facets, whether reporting on sports, you know, some people see trivia, sports as trivial, but, uh, but obviously things like this is important, the arts, anything, but they dig deep, they find the answers, they fact check, and, you know, that fake news thing is just a bunch of BS. I mean, it's horrible that, that, that when, when something said bad about a per person, individual, and it's fact checked a million times, and they're going to come at you with fake news. That's just nonsense. But I think the future of journalism is strong as a whole. Yeah. So thank you for what you do, by the way. Thank you for, thank thank you. You for asking for my time and interviewing. I'm and so glad to come. Have a great rest of your day. You too, thank yeah, you. Take care. Is this going to be on KQED? Oh, uh, KZC Stanford. Stanford's radio station. Okay, cool. Hi, I'm with KZCU Stanford, uh, Stanford's radio station. And so, yeah, you are a group of young folks. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to share the reason for being here and what was your experience? This is your first march? Um, well, so uh, this is my sixth march, actually. Um, but we actually missed this one. We uh, The BART got delayed. We came in from Berkeley. So we just came at the end. But I've been to, we've been to other women's marches. Yeah, we came to the one last year, too. Yeah. Last year. Oh, wow. What's your experience uh, been like? What are your thoughts or impressions, feelings? What's going through your mind? It makes me very hopeful about our country because, like, I know that we can think that's kind of all, like, going, like, bad right now. But, like, when you see the amount of people that, like, care and that are coming out, taking time out of their day to do this, it, like, gives me hope. Uh, I think the last, the one last year was really, like, inspiring because so many, like, women and men that were, like, really passionate about the subject inspired me to be passionate about it, too. It makes me really happy seeing so many people stand up for what they, like, believe in and what they want. So, yeah, it makes me happy to see this. Yeah, I agree with everything that they said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, what are, what are your ages or what grades? Uh, we're eighth graders. I'm 14. I'm in eighth grade. And yeah. we're all in eighth grade, and we go to a bilingual school in Berkeley. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. French-American school. Yeah. And we're, all three of us yeah, are 13. 13. Oh, my gosh. How did you hear, so what got you involved and interested? What's, what's it like being in eighth grade at this time? <laughs> um, so we actually have a feminist club at our school. Yeah, we have a feminist club at our school. Um, last year we made a petition to try to abolish the tampon tax in California, and I think we have like 55,000 signatures on it from people all over the world, all over the world, like in like Africa and like other di totally different continents, um, which is really amazing. We, yeah, we have uh, a lot of projects going on at our, in, at our club right now um, for abortion. They have a abortion. Uh, like rights Instagram um, at Girls Who Choice 2020. <laughs> Follow us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, we are like us. We're like the next generation. So I think that we should all like be doing the best we. If we like care about our future, we should be doing like all that we can to try to save it. Thanks. You just heard some of the, the folks at the San Francisco Women's March. That was Saturday, January 18th, 2020. Ooh, the first march was in a response to um, President Trump's inauguration. Um, that, so that was 2016 after elections. So that in 2017 was the first march. And then uh, marches have been happening since then. So I was hoping to give just um, an experience for what it was like for me and um, for anyone who would be there and some of the what goes on so um i hope that uh you could take it with you and just make what you wish from it and um thank you for listening this has been kczu news central the relatively round table here at kczu stanford 90.1 fm we're on every week tune in next friday five to six take care everyone